Glad you're here today. And uh, we're going to talk about some difficult things. I'm just going to tell you right up front, uh, you may not like me a lot when we're finished today. And I'm okay with that because I want to teach you the truth, right? You want to hear the truth? All right, amen. So we are walking through the book of Colossians and today we come to chapter number one, verses 22 through 27. Last week, and by the way, you can turn in your book that you got to page 44 because that's where you can take some notes and I would highly recommend that you uh, participate with that because here's the reality. You'll remember far more what you write down than what you're actually hearing. And so if you want to remember what's being said today, then I would write as much as you can. I'll try to speak as fast as I can to make your life complicated. How's that? All right, there we go. So last week, Shane uh, did a great job in teaching us that Jesus is above all creation. He sustains all things. He, by the word of his power, his, he is never ending. He is preeminent. He is the preeminent one. That is that he is exalted above everything. As you read both the Old and New Testament, you realize that the story is about the Son of God who came into this world to die for our sins and to redeem us from this horrible plight that you and I had. We're going to talk about that in just a minute. And so that was an amazing talk that Shane did, and, and I hope you got a lot out of that. And today we start with our response. So today what I want to do is I want to talk about, with you for just a few minutes, I want to talk about what your response is to what he said last weekend. What should be the legitimate response from your life? How, see, here's my contention. You can't hear a message like that without making changes in your life. You just can't. If you're hearing it with your heart, you're going to make changes in your life because that's how it works. And so it can't be business as usual. So with that in mind, let's begin in verse number 21. And this is what it says. And you, he's speaking to you here today. And you, uh, who were once alienated and hostile in mind, doing evil deeds, he has now reconciled in his body of flesh by his death in order to present you holy and blameless and above reproach before him. So this describes who we were before we came to a saving knowledge of Jesus. And the reality is, is it doesn't matter whether you were saved at six or 76, it doesn't matter. The story is the same. And this is who, who you were. And you, you know, this is what the word of God says. You specifically were an enemy for, of God. You specifically were God's enemy. I don't know if you understand that. And I'm going to tell you, honestly, you can't receive the good news until you understand the bad news. The bad news is that you were far from God. You were born separated from God without any human ability to ever make a difference in life. You can't, you couldn't get to God. No matter how sincere, no matter how religious, no matter how devout you were, were, the reality is, is that you were born into a condition that was unsolvable by you and God named you specifically as an enemy. Do you get that? He named you specifically, counted you as an enemy. You were far from him and without hope. The Bible describes us without hope in the world. That's that's how, that was the condition that we were born into. And by the way, it's one of the reasons that people experience such major depression and anxiety in our culture is because they don't understand the truth of how to be redeemed in that process. So with that in mind, let's talk about that for just a bit. Uh, Again, I said, I said this earlier, but you can't understand the, re- the reality of salvation 
of what exactly happened in your life until you come to a point in your life where you recognize that you specifically were an enemy, not because you chose that, not because you said, I'm going to get up one day and I'm going to be an enemy of God. It's that that was the condition that you were born into and that was what God named you as. He named you as an enemy. And then God comes into the world, Jesus comes into the world, he dies for your sins, and what God has done for you when you believe, what he does for you is just amazing. First of all, he reconciles you. That's what the Bible says. He reconciles you. You no longer are now, and if you have called on the name of Jesus Christ, you are no longer an enemy of God. Now you are called his friend. That's the marvelous nature of how salvation works. And not only that, he brought you into his presence. Before, before salvation, you did not have a relationship to God. You might have thought you did, but you didn't. And at the moment of salvation, God brought you into his presence. And not only that, he granted you this thing called eternal life. And eternal life isn't just a time frame because there is no time frame in heaven. The reality is, is eternal life is a quality of life that God imparts to your life right now. It's not that I'm gonna get eternal life, I have eternal life right now. That's what God has done in my life as I receive what Christ has done. That exchange, your sin for God's righteousness, doesn't sound like it's very fair to God to me. Does it sound fair to you? Because you got, I think God got the, the, the raw end of the stick here because, because the reality is, is that he got the cross, you get heaven. And that's why you and I should have a response to that. And so that's what we're going to talk about today. How then should I respond to what I just said? And I'm going to say something really bold here. And I'm going to say something really powerful. If you're struggling with what I just said about you being an enemy of God, you're probably not a Christian yet. Think about that. Because before you can get to God, you have to recognize where you're at. That's the reality. And you might be religious, you might be devout, but you're not yet a child of God if you're struggling with the idea of what Christ has done to you or for you as his enemy. So with that, then the only reasonable response <clears throat> is four things. And I'm gonna, they're outlined for us in Colossians chapter one. And uh, so if you'll follow along, we're gonna take some good notes today. So the first thing, the, my first response is that once I come across that line of faith and believe on Jesus whom, who, who died for me, once I believe that Jesus died for my sin, and I join his life. We're gonna talk about that in just a minute. But before I, once I do that, I then, my response should be, I stand now in the truth. I stand in truth. That should be my response. So in verse 23, it says, if indeed you continue in the faith. I want you to notice the definite article there. If you, can, if you continue in the faith, stable and steadfast, not shifting from the hope of the gospel that you heard. I want you to underline the word the faith in your notes to the side. Just take your little pen or pencil and underline the faith because I want you to notice that this has a definite article. It's not your faith. You're not just supposed to stand in your faith. You're supposed to stand in the faith. So what is the faith? That's the crucial piece that we need to understand. If I'm gonna stand it, I need to know what it is, right? So to stand in the faith means I'm standing in the body of truth. That's what it represents, the body of truth that God delivered for us when he delivered to us the Bible. 
So I'm standing in the truth, whether I like it or not, whether I agree with everything that's in the Bible or not, I stand in it. That's the mark of someone who has crossed that line to believe on Jesus Christ. The faith represents the body of truth represented in the Bible. It's this body of truth that allows me to walk in with God in a very powerful way. That's my first response. I stand in the truth. I stand on the Bible. I stand in the Bible. I stand for the Bible and what's contained within the Bible. The second thing that my second response should be is that I should proclaim the good news not only to myself I should preach the gospel to myself every day you've heard me if you've heard me preach you've heard me say this a lot I believe that every Christian should preach the gospel to themselves every day remind themselves of who they were and what God has done for their lives but not only that I should proclaim it to everybody that I know I should use my my platform to be able to communicate the truth of the gospel to everyone that I can Verse 23 says, not shifting from the hope of of the gospel that you heard, which has been proclaimed in all creation under heaven and of which I, Paul, have become a minister. Again, I want you to underline minister there in your notes. I want you to underline minister because we're gonna talk about that for just a second. So in the culture that you and I live, there are really kind of two classes of people that the world has separated out. So Christians have separated them out. So oftentimes, People put the clergy, that would be me and Shane and other people that are, you know, doing this thing. They call us the clergy. That's not my term. That's what the world calls us. But the reality is, is there's no distinction in the Bible between you and me or you and Shane. Except he's bigger than all of us. That's the only distinction that I can think of. He's bigger than us. But the reality is, listen to me carefully, I'm talking to you. I'm talking to you. Don't look to your neighbor, I'm talking to you. You have been called by God to be a minister. You are a minister. I am a minister. Let's say that together. I am a minister. That's the reality. That's your identity. That's who you are. That's not what you do, that's who you are. You are a minister of the gospel of this great news and it is so powerful and so good that I don't know why anybody wouldn't want to be that once they've crossed that line of faith. My response should be that I proclaim this good news as a minister of God's grace. That's so powerful. But here's the problem. And here's why a lot of people choose church over a relationship to the living God. So hear this very clearly. And hear it from your heart. For too long, we've called people to invite Jesus into their lives, into their heart. You probably heard that. You want to invite Jesus into your life today, raise your hand. You know, we're all guilty probably of saying some of that stuff. But as I read the New Testament in particular, here's what I've discovered. Uh, Jesus doesn't want to be in your life. Did he say that out loud? He did. Quiet pause. Your life is a wreck. I mean, it's messed up. It really is messed up. You have a messed up life. Jesus, here's what the New Testament says. I'm gonna give you a verse to back it in just a minute. Jesus says, join his life. We don't ask him to join our life. We ask him to join his life. 
That is so powerful and such a distinction of what it, really a Christ follower is all about. So write this down. Jesus doesn't want you to join, he doesn't want to join your life. He wants you to join his life. Write that down. Think about this as you're doing your daily devotions this week. Think about that particular phrase. His life, by the way, is not boring. It's not irrelevant. It is not static. It is wild and exhilarating and powerful. If you join Jesus' life, I'm telling you, it is just amazing what God is going to do in your life. But the reality is, is that when we just accept Jesus into our lives, what happens is, is that creates a passivity in us. I'm just going to invite Jesus into my life. That's a passive statement. It doesn't require anything from me. And that's why a lot of people that invite Jesus into their life do absolutely nothing with it except maybe mouth a prayer. And that's all that happens. But there's a vast difference between that, that passive statement, and me making a decision to say, I want to join Jesus' life. He offers, in fact, here's what the Bible says. This is so good. The Bible says, when I join Jesus' life, I die. My life is dead and hid in God. I am crucified with Christ, nevertheless I live, yet not I, but Christ lives in me. And the life which I now live, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. So my life, I'm just, here's the thing. This is an earth suit and it's dead. I'm just carrying it around until Jesus comes back. And you know, as I grow older, it's getting worse and worse all the time. I'm just saying, I'm just saying, it's harder to carry around all the time. I have, I, you know, the, the truth is, is that my life is dead, which means my agenda is dead. Which means now if I'm joining Jesus' life, I ask him, what do you want from my life? That's the only reasonable response that you can have to being a Christ follower is God. When I understand what you've done for me, when I understand all of that, then, and I join his life, then every day I get up and I say, God, what is it you want from me today? I abandon my agenda and I accept his agenda for me. And I begin to ask him, your will be done on on earth as it is in heaven. Your will be done inside of my life. So that is so powerful. And when that happens, everything changes because now you live a life by him, to him, through him, and for him. Let me say that one more time to you because that is so good, so powerful. When that happens, I live my life by him, to him, through him, and for him. That's the nature of what it means to be a Christ follower. My life then should reflect the first and the best for Jesus. The things that I do in my life should reflect the first and the best. So we're gonna camp on that for just a minute. And here's where I might, you know, up to this point, you probably, I probably just made you a little mad. Now I'm gonna make you really mad at me. So here we go. Or you're gonna love me, either one, you'd make the choice. So here we go. Let's think about what does it mean to make Jesus the first and the best in my life and how would I know if I'm doing that? How do I know that I'm giving Jesus my first and my best in my life? Well, I'm gonna tell you this, and again, I don't think you're gonna like this, but giving is a reflection of your heart. Did you know that? Giving is a reflection of heart. If you, if you want to know how you're doing with Jesus, you look at your generosity because it's the barometer of every other part of your life. The New Testament teaches that. Jesus taught that. Where your treasure is, there will your heart be also. So I'm just saying to you, listen to me carefully. 
if you want to know whether you're giving Jesus the first and the best, and that's the only reasonable response to being a Christ follower, Jesus doesn't let us live in the middle. He just lets us live with him. We have this new life in him. And when my generosity reflects, that's where I start. And then everything flows from that. If I want to know whether I'm giving Jesus my first and my best, I look at my attitude towards generosity. Am I resentful towards it? Am I angry towards it? Or or am I grateful that I get the opportunity to give him the first and the best out of everything that I have? You with me so far? Nod your head. Some of you are not with me so far, I guess, I think. So here we go. Can, I want you to consider this, and I want you to think about it, and if I've made you mad, that is a really good thing because at least you're having some emotion instead of passivity, right? So think about it this week, and I want you to ask the question, am I giving Jesus my first and my best? Now, I want you to consider two superheroes in our culture, Batman and Spider-Man. As we think about giving God my first and my best. So two superheroes, everybody knows who Batman and Superman are. I mean, the Batman and Spider-Man are, right? I think I said that wrong the first time, but I've corrected it now. So Batman, Spider-Man, let's consider them. In fact, you probably know the story. You probably know the story of these two characters more than you know your Bible. Shane, that just came out of my mouth. I don't know what happened. It just came out of my mouth. I don't know why. So let's think about Batman. The reason Batman is a superhero is because he is rich, rich and strong with lots of gadgets and his his superpowers stem from his external possessions, right? If you know anything about Batman, that's who he is. Spider-Man, on the other hand, has a few accessories, but he is a superhero because a radioactive spider bit him. Remember the story? The radioactive spider bit him. His nature, his nature has been changed from the inside out. What's happened to him by this radioactive spider is that something on the inside changed and now he can cast these webs. And I just rode the Spider-Man ride this week. I went to Disneyland and rode that, you know, and I was thinking about my illustration and, and I was thinking about you and I was thinking about, well, I didn't think much about you, but... <laughs> I'm sorry, Shane, it just keeps coming out. You can rebuke me later. Okay, so you see, the, you see the distinctions now. Which character reflects what we're supposed to be more likely? Is it Spider-Man or Batman? It's Spider-Man, right? A change from the inside. So when something happens on the inside that's changed, that changes you, your natural response is to give back. Your natural response is to live a different lifestyle. You're not asking me the question. I didn't plan to say this, but I don't know why. Somebody probably needs to hear this. You're not asking the question. When that actually happens to you, you're not actually asking the question, can I have sex with my boyfriend now? You're not asking that question because you know innately that's something's happened on the inside that changes who you are innately. Forever and ever and ever. That's the nature of the gospel story, and it is so powerful. Response number three is rejoice in sacrificial service to him. Verse 24 says, Now I rejoice in my sufferings for your sake, and in my flesh I am filling up what is lacking in Christ's afflictions for the sake of his body, that is, the church. Paul is saying here that I'm suffering for the church. Jesus is gone. He suffered for my sins, and now I suffer for the church as well. 
I suffer, I give myself, I don't run away from suffering. In other words, I should not run away from suffering and I should not run away from sacrifice because sacrifice is the natural, normal response to a God who has taken an enemy and made him his friend. Do you get that? Shake your head at me. It's the natural, normal response to someone who has been changed from the inside out. And here is what I love about sacrifice. Sacrifice is giving up something I love for something I love more. Something I love more. And here's what I've discovered. God opens doors during suffering. I've lived this out personally, and I know it to be true in my life. But I want to tell you a story of a, of a guy by the name of Levi Lusco. He's a pastor from Montana. His five-year-old daughter died in his arms. They were wrapping presents. She had an asthma attack. And they called 911, and before they could, the before the, you know, the people could get there, she died in this pastor's arms. He wrote a book about it, and, uh, and here's what I want you to know about Levi. Levi, I mean, a lot of people, that would have done them in, right? They'd have said, I'm not going to serve Jesus anymore. So can I ask you a question? This is probably the most important question you'll ever hear from this stage. What's going to stop you? from serving Jesus. What is it? What's going to stop you from serving Jesus? I lost my son from a drug overdose. I'm still here. My view of Jesus has not changed. Do I have grief? Yes. But I'm telling you, honestly, you've got to ask the question, what is it that's going to cause me to stop? Getting mad at shame, <laughs> you know, maybe that's it, right? Or me? What is it going to? What's going to take? What is it going to take to stop you? If you don't know what's going to, what it's going to take, then you probably be stopped at something that happens inside of your life. Fourth thing, and the last thing, serve the church. Verse twenty-five says, "Of which I became a minister." That's who we are, right? According to the stewardship from God that was given to me for you to make the word of God fully known. See that word stewardship? I, I want you to take your, your notes and underline that word stewardship and let me describe to you what that means. The New Living Translation translates it this way. God has given me the responsibility of serving his church by proclaiming the entire message to you. That's what God has given to you. God has given you a responsibility. You personally, if you believe on Jesus, if you have entered Jesus' life, he's given you a responsibility to serve the church. That's on you. It's not on me, it's on you. It's on you to figure out what that is. So, you know, I've been a football, basketball guy most of my life and loved the games. Uh, when my kids started coming up and then my grandkids uh, I started learning and having a deeper love for soccer because I love them. I don't necessarily love soccer, but I love them. So I go to soccer games and I watch their matches. And, and uh, soccer was always very confusing to me. You know, I couldn't figure out what's offsides and what's not, that kind of stuff. But here's what I knew innately about soccer. The most important person on the field was the goalie. You know Why? Because the goalie was the last line of defense that would protect, they would protect the other team from scoring. If you don't score any points, you can't win. 
So the goalie had a box. This is my box. This is my territory. This is where this is where I belong. I can't go out outside this box. I can't leave my box. I have to stay in the box. I have to make sure that this goalie is protected. This I got this this net is protected. This is my home. This is where I belong. This is my responsibility. Now listen to me carefully. This is where we're going to end today. For my from at least my part. You're the goalie. In God's kingdom, you're the goalie. In God's kingdom, you're the goalie. You have a responsibility. And if you're not at that goal, the evil one scores points. You gotta be where you're supposed to be. You gotta be doing what you're supposed to be doing. And if you don't, nobody else will. Because God has given you a particular responsibility in his kingdom to serve. And you got to step up and take that responsibility. It's not because you're earning favor with God. It's because you've already got favor with God. And because you are, because you are now serving out of response to what Christ has done for you. So you say, until the day the trumpet sounds, I'm going to be at my post. I'm going to be serving Jesus the way he's intended me to serve him. I'm going to be where I'm supposed to be. I'm going to live out the responsibility that God has given me for the gospel of Jesus. Does that make sense to you? Are you willing to hear that from your heart? Are you willing to make life changes in response to what I've just said? Because that's my response to the gospel of Jesus. Father, thank you. Thank you. Thank you for this day. And may your spirit take my words and use them for your glory and honor in Jesus' name. Amen.